to see today, uh, and as we as we head through this this uh, study on contentment, um, that among other things, worry is a contentment killer. Uh, it will kill contentment quicker than anything, and we're going to see as as we as, as we this study unfolds over these next few weeks, um, the fact that contentment is contingent on some things. The question is, is it contingent on the right things? And if we're, uh, if we're making that decision on contentment, apart from the guidelines of Scripture and the guidelines of God's Word, we're going we're gonna to be in grave, grave disappointment. So we're going to look today at worry uh, and, and how it affects contentment. Worry's, worry's got to go is the title of the message. But let me, let me share with you briefly just a, a pause to, to help you, let you celebrate along with us what, what the Lord's done this past week in Nicaragua. First of all, this begins with with prayer and with uh, uh, the Lord at work to kind of guide in, in the timing of these trips and, and, and the nature of what we're going to be doing when we go and some of those kinds of things. And I, actually, for the last couple of years, I've been praying about God shifting my focus there from things construction related, which is hard on an old man's back, to things that are that are related more toward men. And I've just I have have an increased passion to see the, the men in that culture stand up and, and, and become some men. So, and in our culture, too, it's an increasing passion of mine here. Um, but I had some conversations with Eric over the past couple of years to, to, see, to try and discover, you know, what, what are some of the root causes of some of these things. And so, anyway, long story short, I think we planted some great seed with some men and, and, and some pastors uh, at, at a men's conference. Uh, the... We had it at First Baptist Granada. Now, lest you think of First Baptist of most cities, <laughs> First, First Baptist Granada is about this size right here. And it was packed both nights for, of men for this conference and pastors. And, uh, and uh, two guys prayed to receive Christ uh, the second night of that conference that were already connected with their church and part of their men's ministry, but realized they were lost and prayed to receive Christ. So we're extremely grateful for that. But one of the things that charged me up is um, these pastors just uh, soaking up everything to try and engage men. That It really hit a nerve with them, and it's been a source of frustration with, with these pastors that Eric, the missionary that we support there, he works with these pastors uh, ongoing, in an ongoing way, and it has been a pent-up frustration for them in, in, in their ability or inability to reach men and do anything about the, the, the fact that men are dying away from, from their culture, from their homes, from their churches. You go in church after church, and it's 90% women. Some churches in America are like that as well, but uh, it's even more prevalent there. Uh, and and I, I shared with them uh, and left with, with them some tools, those pastors, some tools to try and engage men and reach men and keep men in their church reaching out to in their community, and uh, and that was a, that was a, an extreme home run because I, you know those, those pastors left with we finally got some tools to work with, <laughs> we finally got something to do to, to you know in hand to reach some of these men and, and try and engage them. So so thank you for your support of that and, and furnishing those materials and your support of Springfest uh, every year as we put that on to raise money for the teams to go and, and materials that we're, we're going to share food baskets with. We visited a little over 70 families and shared food baskets with those families and in those 70 visits saw 136 people pray to receive Christ and uh, just a tremendous blessing there the, but the great the greater beauty well there's not there's no greater beauty than somebody praying to see Christ but uh, but almost in, in my mind or at least in the mind of a pastor is 
we were able to immediately connect those 136 people up with the local church because we had we had members of, of those local churches that we were working with embedded in our teams and every home visit we would make there would be somebody there with us and we as soon as they prayed to see christ here's a here's a here's a body you can connect with to, to walk alongside you in your faith and disciple you and help you grow and so um there was just a just a neat neat week all the way around god blessed in some incredible ways uh, the last day there, I uh, made a visit to a home, and there was good grief. As, as many homes are, there was probably 15 or 20 people living in three rooms, and, and uh, the oldest of which was, was this, the matriarch of this family, 94-year-old lady, prayed to receive Christ, and her, I think, two or three daughters that was there living in the home with her. And, uh, and same question I, I asked, I always ask, I said, where are your husbands? Are you married? Where they're off drinking, so they're, you know, it was close to the weekend, so, and the ones of them that do work, any of them work, or work outside the city, so they're gone all week, they come in, and, and drink all weekend, and then head back out, and, and work all week again away from home, and so it's, it's, it's really tragic what it's doing to the young males of that culture, and I'm seeing it occur, and I had conversations with some of these pastors to say, um, these young teenage, especially teenage guys, they're, they're prey to the enemy, because they've got no male model to follow at home. And it's desperate that we reach them, some of these men to, to be able to impact their families and some of these. Otherwise, the cycle is just going to continue generation after generation after generation. So help me pray about that. Uh, I'm going to give you some visual images next Sunday of, of some of the families we shared with and, and some of the locations and things there um, just to give you a visual lock away, hopefully, to, to encourage you to pray. You know, I remember that family. Yeah, let me pray for them. Let me pray for them. So I want to encourage you to continue to remember them as you pray. Uh, as, as significant as that sounds that 136 people came to Jesus we've not scratched the surface I mean there's just there's just some, a, a bunch of darkness there in that place and, uh, and a great deal of poverty as well but I shared the story this, this past week's evenings with you uh, it's great to see the Lord connect the dots in the story I shared in the evenings one of the ladies that we, we were sharing with was really living in squalor i mean uh, it, it was we traveled back in some back areas in nicaragua but nowhere this far i mean we were it was i was wondering if we were going to get, get back out to be honest with you we were in four-wheel drive vehicles and we were up hill and dale and you know um, where there were no roads basically uh, got back to this family and lady had had uh had I think four or five kids in, in her household, and her husband as well was gone, uh, and uh, not not in the home. It visited the home vaguely to check in every now and then to, to drop off some money or a piece of this, that, but usually drank up most of what he made. And as we were sharing Christ with his <clears throat> with his family, just had a, they had a real sweet spirit, beautiful, beautiful girls. We've got a picture of them. I'm going to show you next week. Uh, just beautiful daughters in the home, and, and great. Uh, countenance about themselves but as we shared with his mom I could just see the angst on her face and, and, and just the, the the kind of what am I going to do on her face and as she, as she prayed to see Christ we, her, her, and, her, and the rest of her family there these, these I think four daughters that was in that home um, she just you know lit up with a smile as, as we shared as, after, after we led her in a prayer and encouraged her to connect with his church and what and as we the last thing we did is as we made each visit to say we had a gift we have a gift for you that we brought to you and it in no way is contingent upon your praying to receive christ it's just a 
us, us being the hands and feet of Jesus to say, here's some, here's some love on you from the kingdom and from the king. And as we started to pull out the rice and beans out of the, out of the bag, she just starts to break out in tears. I thought, what's going on now? Anyway, to, long story short, to, to, to continue that conversation with her and about her, she over, became overcame with, overcome with emotion <clears throat> because she connected the dots between the Jesus that she just received in her heart and the gift that she just received in her hand because they had no food in the home. And so we didn't know this going in. She didn't tell us this up front, but they had no food at home to eat. And so she was able to connect the dots between Jesus, the, the one who lives in me, is the one who provides for me today. And she didn't see it as from us. She saw it as from the Lord and was overcome by that. So it was neat. There, there, there are more stories that I'll share as we go along, but uh, just, just a, a great week of ministry and appreciate your prayers and your, your financial support and and all that makes that happen. Uh, if you want to be a part of a team next year, we're probably going to do another fall trip next year, uh, hopefully not sometime in October, if you'd like to be a part of that, and uh, sharing Christ and meeting needs and touching churches. Uh, let me know. We'll, we'll help you connect up there. Turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. We're going to look today at at this uh, this really dissertation from Jesus um, about worry and addressing it both to the disciples and, and to us sitting here today about uh, what damage it can do. We'll look at several verses here, picking up in verse 22 of chapter 12, and then reading down through verse 31. Join with me. He says, Then Jesus said to the disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? You of little faith. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan runs, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Four things I think that are, that are true about the, in, in this passage, among, among many, but at least four out of this passage that are true about worry is worry is, first of all, for the birds. He speaks to that in verses 22 to 24 to say, how much more valuable are you than birds? Look at how God gives them the very things they need, the very sustenance they need to make it through the day, to, 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 make it, to, to feed their, their, them and theirs. Will he not take care of you as well? Will he, are you not far more valuable to him than birds, he says. Uh, he's saying here that, that the root of our sense of worry, get this, this is, this is vital, the root of our sense of worry is our value in God's eyes. And if we see ourselves of little value in God's eyes, there's going to be a greater need to worry. If we see ourselves in the value that God sees us and how he values us, there will be no room for worry. We'll see God as the one who sustains, the one who gives, the one who, who, who provides, and, 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 and who, is, who is all and is, and is in, in all, the scripture says. <clears throat> this, is, uh, this is foundational discipleship, foundational teaching about man's relationship and, and how vitally important that is to God, um, both at home and at, and, and at church. Uh, get this, if we see God as boss, 
instead of father. We're going to have cause to worry. If we see God as judge instead of redeemer, we're going to have cause to worry. If we see him as out there somewhere instead of in here, we're going to have cause to worry. That's our, that, that was one of our greatest challenges in reaching people in Nicaragua was their concept, and it was, it was largely based on, based on multi, multi, multi-generations of, of steep Catholicism, is they always saw God as out there. And when I would bring up the subject with them of, has anybody ever told you about a relationship with Jesus, knowing him personally? Blank looks. No, never heard that in my life. And the concept, if, if we grow up and continue this concept that God is always out there instead of in here, there's going to be need and cause for worry. So he's saying here some foundational things to say, your value is of altogether a great importance in how you see or, or have the ability or not to overcome worry. If we see ourselves as valued by God and he is in here and he is redeemer and he is father and not just boss and judge and somewhere out there cracking a whip, if we see God in, in, through the lens that he's painting here, that Jesus is painting here, worry's going to find an, an easy way out. But if our concept of him, and some of that depends on how you were raised in church, and some of that depends on how you were raised in your home. If you see, if you see God and you've always seen him as this ogre, and he's, he's the one that's going to slap you around when you step out of line, most folks like to have need to worry because God is always somewhere else. He's never approachable. He's never intimate. He's never here with me. He's never Emmanuel. Yet if we see that and make this connection, um, it's, it's far easier to let worry go. If, if worry is a challenge to you, then I would say step one is see your value in God's eyes. When you can see your value in God's eyes, worry becomes far easier to, to let go. And, and I mean, here's, a, here's another interesting sidebar here. Who values something greater than, than the owner of that thing? If I'm trying to sell a, a, a bike or a, or a refrigerator or a TV, if I'm trying to sell something, me as the owner, I'm the one who's declaring the value. Of the, of the thing I'm trying to sell. I'm, I'm, I'm saying, I think it's worth this. Now, it's worth ultimately what somebody will pay for it if you're, tri- if you're selling something. But somebody has to place value on something before it's sold, before it's, it's offered up to someone else. And it's the owner who places that value. And, and he's saying here, this is, this is the role that God plays. And as owner of you, if you belong to him, as owner of you, as, as the one who possesses you, your, your soul and, and your, your, your mind and your spirit for all eternity, as the one who possesses all that you are and all that you own, he's the one who says what you're worth, does he not? And he's saying here, if he feeds the birds this way and he takes care of birds this way, are we of not far greater value? And the answer to that is absolutely yes, it is. So one of the greatest linchpins in overcoming this, this, this uh, cinch hold oftentimes that worry has on us and has on our hearts is seeing how we're valued by God. And in some cases, unlearning the things we've learned in the past about how we've seen him and how we've approached him. Worries for the birds. Secondly, 25 and 26 tell us that worry is a killing machine. Look at what he says there again. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Who can add a single hour to your life by worry? He's saying it's impossible. And we, we think that worry is about preservation. Most of us do because... We worry because we're concerned about our ability to deal with what's coming or our, deal, our ability to, to handle what's coming or be prepared for what's coming. So we think it's about preparation and preservation, and it's really about the opposite. It's about killing. It's about dying. It's about death. It's about the fact that um, worry sucks the life out of us if we, if we, if, unless we can whip it. 
and overcome it, it sucks the life out of us. And, and of course, as, as we've seen in, in our day and time, the worry and the stress that it that brings about is, is has been shown to cause heart disease, has been shown to cause diabetes, stroke, on and on and on. The, the story goes. Stress caused by what? Caused by worry about that, about this, about things that are hypothetical, that have never even occurred yet. And we think it's about preparing for those things, but it's really not. It's about the, the, the fact that the, the worry and the stress that, that we have in our life as a result of it are slowly killing us. And, and, and the fact that we can't see that coming is, is he's saying here, uh, you, can, you can't add a single day to your life by worry. Why, why waste your time there, he says. So it not only sucks the life out of us physically, but mentally as well. It, it affects how we think. It affects our attitudes. It affects our, our mannerisms. It affects our spirits. It affects our conversations. Uh, it affects the, the, the way in which we work and the way in which we deal with people. It affects every arena of our life. And here's one thing I would ask you. You think of the people that either you know in your world or maybe yourself that have suffered from mental illness. I want, I want to get you to, to dwell with me just for a second on this. Think about if, if, if you have a family member or a friend or someone, someone that suffered from, from mental illness. I'll bet if you look, in their life, you'll see a healthy amount of their problem rooted in worry. That it oftentimes starts there and it spreads it to something else. Um, it, it, it is a it's a it's a feeder to self loathing. It's a feeder to, to eventually to, to, to as I said a moment ago, our, our sense of self worth. And instead of seeing ourselves as he sees us, we see ourselves as we perceive we are to be. And most of that, from, as we learn from everything else from the enemy, is a lie. And he keeps his thumb under us and keeps his thumb over us both physically and mentally by using worry as a tool to bring that about. It'll kill us if we allow it to do that. Thirdly, worry is not only for the birds and a killing machine, but 27 and 28 speak to worry, how, how worry will ruin our self-image. Look at what he says there. Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his splendor was, was not dressed like one of these and if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Not even Solomon was dressed like one of these, he says. And, he's, and Solomon, as you know in the scripture, uh, if you spend any time in the word, Solomon was the richest of the rich. Had every trapping of wealth and every trapping of the blessing of God that anyone has ever seen. The, 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 the wealth of Solomon, the, the resources of Solomon are, are, are well documented in the scripture. And he says, even yet Solomon in all his stuff, in all the ways he surrounded himself, he had, he had no beauty like the lily of the field. And if God dresses up the lily of the field that way and is concerned so much about the lily of the field, how much, not, how much more is he not concerned about you? And he's saying that he finds beauty in who you are, not in the package on the outside. He said Solomon had the ultimate package on the outside, yet he didn't have as much beauty as this lily of the field that, that is, is uh, displayed here. And he's using an example. The beauty industry, in Amer just in America, the beauty industry is a $300-plus billion industry. It's mind-boggling to me. In fact, as I, as I come off the heels of, of seeing families that are hungry and, and seeing mothers break down over a bag of rice and beans that we pull out of the bag because she's hungry, I think of the money that's spent on beauty and the money that's spent on vanity in our country, and we could feed the world with that. And, and I think, you know, in terms of the things we value and devalue, what's wrong with our picture? The, the, the picture of America is we're self-consumed. And quite, quite honestly, I think we'll answer to the Lord for that one of these days. But we are a self-consumed... I don't think we went looking for it. I think, I think gradually, as I've always said, that's how the enemy works. He never slaps us in the face with wrong. He always does it incrementally. 
And over time, generation by generation by generation, we have so, been so consumed with ourselves that we can't see anything beyond ourselves. And he's saying here that, that the, the beauty of the lily in the field is far, far more great than, than that of, of Solomon and all his array and all of his splendor. Uh, and it's, it, there's something wrong with, it, with, with how our, the pendulum has swung in a, in a direction where our priorities are not where they should be and where they have been and should be and where he points in, that we should, uh, we should look at here. So he's saying that the beauty here is a, is, is, and, and vanity here is, is a fleeting thing. And he said because the, the lily of the field and all its beauty, and yet it's cut down and burned and put in the fire. So he's saying beauty is, beauty is such a, a fleeting thing. And our, our, our sense of, of what we look like and how we come across and how we dress ourselves and how we smell and how we, and don't stop taking baths, anybody, and don't, you know. But, but he's saying our, our, focus on the, our focus on the outer is far greater than our focus on the inner. And he's saying if we, if we can reverse that, we'll see our self-image in terms of how he sees our self-image instead of how our culture wants to define our self-image. So, ladies, you ready for this? I'm going to give you the greatest beauty secret there ever was. According to what he's saying in these two verses, the greatest beauty secret there is is contentment. When you can find a place of contentment, contentment oozes out of you from the inside out. And, and you've seen it, and I've seen it, um, and it's not just ladies, it's men too. I, I shouldn't pull ladies out of the side. But, but I've, seen, I've seen a number of, more ladies than men, I'm just going to have to be honest, but I've seen a number of ladies that are, that are really dressed up and in, 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 in the package is really nice. But here's what you see. And, and, and I wonder, what's in, what, what inside is causing that? I mean, there's got to be something in there that's, that's, that's bringing about this, you know, I look good, but my life stinks. And, and I can't do anything about that. And so that's kind of the illustration he's using here to say, about the lily to say, man, in all its beauty, it's vanity as well, because the beauty of the lily is going to get burned up. And Solomon, in all his splendor, had no beauty even such as these. So, our self-image about ourselves as, as Christianized Americans is, is warped to, to, to a great degree. And, and the content of the heart radiates to the spirit of a person. And the, and the far more content a person can find themselves in their heart, the far more attractive they're going to be on the outside. Uh, I just believe that to be true. In fact, I've seen that over and over and over with people. Uh, and, it, and most people can see through the packaging anyway. I mean, let's be honest. Most people can see through the veneer. They can see the fact that well, something's not right about him, about her. Hey, look, got good jobs, good homes, good families, drive a nice car, live in a nice house, dress good, smell nice. Something just didn't. And most folks can see through the veneer. They, even, even folks that don't know you well can, in, in a matter of moments, oftentimes see through the veneer. So, so he's saying here, our self-image will be ruined by worry or brought about to a greater degree if we'll let it go. And uh, he the, the illustration of the lily and Solomon here, I think, is a great one in that regard. Third, uh, fourthly, worry is not only for the birds and it is a killing machine and, and will ruin our self-image. Worry centers around separating need from want. The things we need from the things we want. Worry centers around that. Look at verse 29. He says, And do not set your heart on what you'll eat or drink or worry about it, for the, the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father, your father knows that you need them, but seek his kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. Your father knows what your needs are, he said, he said in this verse. And in this culture of me that you and I live in, and we're the most self-consumed culture I've ever seen, 
But in this culture of me, those kind of lines are blurred. The lines are blurred between need and want. And it's harder and harder to define, especially when generation after generation after generation has more than what they need in the first place. And, and the sense of entitlement grows and the sense of, of, of what I deserve grows. And suddenly we find ourselves, and, and all of us have done this uh, I'm going to push back against this as we go through this walk of contentment together because I think it's what the scripture teaches. But all of us have have uh, uh, well-meaningly seen to it that our kids have a better life than we have. I want to challenge that thinking in you to say that that's nowhere in the scripture, ever, anywhere. And believe me, I've searched it out. Because I've I've made those, those same attempts, Leanne and I have, to want our daughters to have a better road than we had and there's nothing about that in this book nothing zero why is that it is that because i think that that the greater we find our circumstances to to, to define or or, or the less to, to, to lesser extent we find our circumstances to define who we are where we go and what we do the better off we're going to be if our circumstances don't define us and if we don't regardless of where we started from and even where we end up if we see ourselves as this is the path that God has had me on, not this is the, the path I've been entitled to and the path that I deserve. And you don't believe me? Listen to good grief. Four out of five t- TV commercials are going to tell you what you deserve. You deserve more beautiful hair. You deserve to drive a nicer car. You deserve to wear this brand of clothing. You, de- you deserve this. And I'm going to tell you, as honestly as I can tell you from the truth of Scripture, you and I deserve the pit of hell today what we deserve. We don't deserve to be standing in church in, in freedom, in a, in a heated and air-conditioned room, worshiping Jesus today. We deserve the pit of hell is what we deserve because we've sinned and we've stepped out of God's will for us. I'm grateful we don't get what we deserve. I'm blown away by that. Anyway, um, the lines are blurred in our culture between need and want. I, I've, I've gotten a greater perspective of that, uh, again, as a reminder this past week. When, when you're going into a home who's... <laughs> who's grateful for shelter, I mean, just out of the rain, and clean water. And I'm worried about, you know, my, my HVAC making a noise that I've never heard before. And so it, it kind of has a way of putting into perspective the things that are of value and the things that aren't. We're going to look a little bit more at that next week. But um, perspective is a great teacher. It's really a great teacher. And missions or, or Nicaragua, any kind of mission, they don't need my money so much as they need me. Now, they need my money too, but they need me. They, I need the perspective. I need, I need for God to rattle me a little bit from time to time, and all of us do, to say, here's what's important. And these 15 things aren't that you really think are. These two things are important, and these 30 aren't. And I, I need that reminder, that fresh perspective sometimes that, that, that those kinds of situations give us. Um, so here that he's saying your, your needs and your wants are different things. How do we define that? Well, he does that for us here in verse 31. He says, but seek his kingdom. And the rest of these things will be added to you. So defining need from want gets down to seeking his kingdom. Are we seeking kingdom things? I say this often. I'll say it again. The more we can look at life through an eternal lens, have an eternal perspective and not a carnal earthly perspective, the more we're going to see need from want. The easier it's going to be to define those two things. If we cannot see from, a, from, a, from an eternal lens what matters for eternity, needs and wants get blurred. And when I'm the one that's defining that myself, well, I need this. No, I want it. I've defined it as a need, but I want it. And I need that, too, to make it. 
No, I want it. I've defined it as a need, but I want it. If we can start to see through an eternal lens and, and see through his perspective, we'll see more clearly what needs and wants need to be. That's more clearly, it comes into much clearer focus. If we're not looking through that kind of lens, it's hard to see. Uh, and when, when we are, we'll hang on to kingdom things. That's what he's talking about here. Seek first his kingdom. If I'm hanging on to kingdom things and I'm pursuing kingdom things, earthly things and worldly things will find their proper perspective. It'll be 15th and 16th and 23rd down the totem pole if I'm seeking kingdom things. But if I'm not seeking kingdom things, if, I, if I'm walking through this world with equal holds on this world and equal holds on the kingdom, it's, it's kind of like a picket fence. It gets painful after a while to start straddling that. And, I, and, and that's a hard walk to walk. Yet many Christianized, Americanized believers find themselves in that, in that place trying to straddle and walk that same place. Here, I want to latch on to the world, latch on to the kingdom. And he's saying, listen, if you want to separate need from want and see what value, what is of value from what is not, look at eternal things. Look at kingdom things. Hold on to, pursue, chase, go after kingdom things. And the rest will fall into to, to its place after that. And that's great counsel he gives us today. In short, what he's saying is simplify. Simplify. That's great counsel for you and I here today. We need simpler lives. We live, as, as, as I've said, in, a, in, a, in an Americanized Christian culture thinking that I'll take a little of this and a little of this and a little of this and it all makes it together to make my life work and, and I, I want to bring God glory and I want to please Him and I want to, I want to give to the kingdom and I want to serve but, but I also want to be relevant over here and, and I, want to, I want to make this should matter too and all those things come into focus when we start to look through a kingdom lens and it's hard to look through a kingdom lens when our life is as complex as it is. I mean if I pulled up your phone and, or your day timer or your I'm going to start to see things that are going to get in the way of that. And you're going to in mine as well. You're going to see things that start to get in the way of that perspective that says, what are kingdom things today? Today, what are kingdom things? Tomorrow, what are kingdom things? What are kingdom things Thursday? What are kingdom things Friday? And when we start to look, to look through an eternal lens, we're going to start to see kingdom things. And when we can simplify our lives to a great degree, um, that's going to come into clear focus. Our, our small group is... Uh, uh, going through a book by David Platt called Counterculture. And it is a great dovetail to his book entitled Radical, um, where he, he says, and, and I've, I've had similar conversations with Eric Weber, a missionary that we uh, work with in Nicaragua, to say, I need, my world needs to be simplified. I, I, need, I need fewer things to concern myself with I need, I need less square footage than I have. I need, I need less clothes in my closet than I have. I've got, you know, a closet for winter clothes and a closet for summer clothes or two closets for summer clothes and two, two more closets for... And I, my life needs to be simplified to the, to the extent that it makes it easy for me to make choices. And it makes it easy for me to see what choices to make. And the simpler my life gets, both... I'm not, I'm not talking about exclusively financially, but, but I think that applies to us in America... The simpler our life gets, the more clearly we can see need from want. What is important and what isn't. Kingdom things from earthly things. Those choices are blurred when, we, when, when our life is as complex as most of us live. And when we can learn to simplify life spiritually, financially, materially, relationally, vocationally. When we can learn to simplify life, it's, it's far easier to see what God's up to around us. And I've never talked to a person, to, to, to many believers in my walk with Christ that have never had issue with this concern of what's God's will for me? I want to know God's will for me. I want to know his plan for me. And I'm going to tell you, that's far clearer to see when we can look through an eternal 
more simplified lens. It's, it's far more complex when you've got 15 plates we're juggling all the time. And where is God in all this? Where can I see him at work? And so as we, as we can simplify, we'll more clearly see what God's up to. And I want to encourage you to, to think in those terms. That challenge is going to be a recurring theme as we go through this, this study and contentment. A couple things here and we're done. One is I want to encourage you to in a, in a couple of steps here as we close up. And step one to living in a place of contentment is showing worry the door. And you know your heart better than I do. I, I don't. I don't pretend to sit here today and say, okay, in a room of uh, you know twenty five people, eighteen of you have some serious issues with worry. I, I don't know that, but you and God do. You you know if that's been an issue with you. You know if the Lord has touched your heart with the fact that worry consumes me, and I know it's wrong. And Jesus said right here in the scripture, it's wrong. And I, yet I'm I'm choosing to let it consume me. I'm choosing to let it have a place that it shouldn't have in my life. And I want to challenge you today, if that's you, to learn step by step to let that go. And, and, and he's given us some steps here to say it's about how you're valued. It's about how God sees you, not you see yourself, or not how you think this ogre up here. No, it's about how he sees you. And he sees you this way. He sent his son to die for you. He sent his spirit to live in you. You're a value to him. And, and we should see ourselves that way. And it's, it's physically and, and, and mentally debilitating. It will kill us if we allow it to. It, it's... it's has will totally warp our sense of self-image if we're worried about how we look and how we come across everybody. Contentment is the key to beauty and not, and not self-image. But this idea of, of, of looking through an eternal lens and seeing need from want is, is a challenge for everybody, but worry is the great inhibitor to that. If we're worried about things, we're worried about health, we're worried about tomorrow, we're worried about money, worried about family, worried about our kids, God's big enough or he isn't. I don't know how to put it any more simply. He's either big enough or he isn't. He's big enough to deal with any issue in your life, or he isn't. He's big enough to take care of you, or he isn't. He's big enough to see that, it, that your health needs, or he isn't. He's either big enough, or he isn't, one or the other. You can't be both. So, step one to living in a place of commitment is to show worry the door. Step two is doing more with less. We're going to look at that next week. That's what next week's message is about. Doing more with less. That's step two. Uh, worry's a cancer. It's a cancer. And, and it's not just unhealthy. It will consume you and kill you if you allow it to. And it, it, it will spread into the generation behind you. You know what your kids see in a worrier? The need to worry. You know what they see in somebody with contentment? That's where I, that's where I need to go. And so if you want to raise grandkids that don't worry, stop worrying. And start to sow some of those things into your kids. It's, it is multigenerational. And, and we... We tend to grow up and become what we have seen, what we've seen modeled in front of us. And so if we want to move over those hurdles, it's a choice we've got to make. And it's never too late to start. I don't care if you're 7 or 70 here today and, and worry's been an issue for you. I want to challenge you to, be, to begin to make a decision and say, okay, today I'm starting this process of dealing with this. And I'm going to start to see myself as God sees me. I'm going to start to, 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 to value the things he values in me and devalue the things he devalues in, in our culture. I'm going to start to look through his lens and see things from his perspective and define what I need and want more clearly and more and more simply as, as my life takes a greater, greater perspective and, and on the fact of what matters and what doesn't. And that's hard to see if we're consumed with worry. So we, as we start to let that go and simplify our life, it's much clearer to see. So I want to encourage you in that direction, doing more with less next week. Hope you'll be here for that.